Well, look who came crawling back. Us. Yeah, we are back with a new episode. It's sort of a pilot episode for a new direction. Let us know what you think. But yeah, it's been a year-long hiatus from podcasting. I'm not going to bore you with uh, all the things that went on over the last year that made it feel impossible for us to record and publish episodes. We'll bore you with those another time. But in this pilot episode, we are going to unpack the question, what is it about the Adams Family life that you want in your own life? We posed the question on our Instagram, and one follower said he would love to have Gomez and Morticia's marriage. Well, sure, that makes sense. And since we also have a perfect marriage, we thought, why not try to talk about that? So we're going to unpack our own marriage on a podcast and try to relate it to the Adams Family. For future episodes, now we're taking voicemail messages. So if you have a question, call us at 530-492-0606. Leave your question about how you could live like the Adams Family. Or if you have questions about my art career or Amanda's vintage clothing sales or our relationship, whatever you want to know, uh, don't get too, uh, don't get too personal. All right. But, um, that's the number five, three, zero, four, nine, two, oh, six, oh, six. And without any further ado, here's the pilot episode. Let us know what you think. It's living full atoms. <laughs> Welcome to Living Full Adams, where we break down step-by-step how to live like the Adams family, how to spend time with your family at home instead of leaving for a conventional job, how to embrace the dark side of life, and how to be okay with being the weirdos in your town. How to live full Adams. My name is Ben Walker Story. And I'm Amanda Walker Story. Welcome to our first new episode. Yeah, welcome everybody. Thank you for tuning in. We're really excited about our newest podcast. And we're going to talk about how you can live more like the Adams Family, like we're trying to do. Exactly. You know, I don't want it to be like, oh, we got it all figured out and we're going to like tell you from on high, you know, I think by like going over these things, we can help people, but it, we also are figuring it out for ourselves as we go too, right? Yeah. I mean, by no means do we have our entire life plan figured out, but I think that we have had some success and we have been doing this for long enough to share some of our secrets. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about it and just to kind of recap, you know, we were doing the uh, cheap chills show and we were looking at old movies and we were talking about the paranormal and stuff. And, uh, that was, that was cool. And that ran its course, but there was something about when we would talk about the Adams family, uh, on the show. And also just before we even were podcasting, this was a subject that came up 10 years ago, this idea of living full Adams you know, it was our way of saying that we were going to live like the Adams family all the time. Yeah. And that we, we admired the lifestyle, the freedom, the independence that they had, their ability to live creatively and to sort of really do whatever they wanted to. They were, they didn't depend on anybody else to like live their lives or to have their, you know, finances. I think, you know, maybe they had inherited quite a lot of money, which is something we have not done. That's something we're going to have to get into. We're going to have to do some research and and talk about it because, you know, I think I would love to focus for this show to talk about 
you know, how to figure it out for yourselves. Cause that's what we're doing. You know, how to, we're li- not... how to leave someone an inheritance later on. <laughs> I know I feel, that feels so hypocritical because I don't, you know, I don't, I guess I don't have as much respect for somebody who's already kind of got their ticket written and they're doing fine, regardless of the effort they put in. We are, we're busting our asses and we get help sometimes. We're not going to say we don't ever, we've haven't gotten help from family and stuff when we needed it. But for the most part, we've been really working hard. We kind of went off on a, on a jag there. We promised that we would get right into the topic right away. Let's do that. So on the cheap chills, Instagram, which is still our main Instagram Mm -hmm. for now, we posed the question, what about living like the Adams family appeals to you most? Is that the question we asked? So we asked um, our followers that question and we got some responses. And one of the responses was... How to have a perfect marriage. Right. So this person holds the Adams family as the paramount of perfect marriages. Yeah. Yeah, And that's, that's awesome because I mean, I think we all kind of see something there and, you know, for me, first of all, I think perfect isn't the best word to use for any marriage, but you know, as good as, as it gets, as far as happy marriages go, as far as like having the person that's right for you and it's a good match, I think that makes it perfect for them. And that it's something that you can strive for. And with the Adams family, you know, they were literally the first couple on TV to share a bed and to show affection on camera, you know, with the, with the French speaking and the, Oh, my frere. And they would, he would get all excited and you you spoke French and he'd start kissing up her arm and she'd be like, Oh, later darling, you know, that kind of thing. That was the first time that was ever on TV. Before that it was, you know, twin beds with four feet between them and, and no, maybe a no peck kissing. on the cheek. Yeah. Right. There was passion now. And I think that that's huge in a marriage. So anyway, the point is we're going to talk about now, you know, we want to get into in no particular order how to live like the Adams family. But let's face it, step one in being an Adams family is to be a family. And that's going to need to start with finding your perfect weirdo match. Right. So, you know, there was no doubt that the that Morticia and Gomez loved each other they were in love with each other and you know they showed it and like you said that was something different on TV at that time and you know for a lot of people I think that grew up with their parents being in a loveless marriage it was kind of foreign and like a fantasy that that could be what like a husband and wife were like together yes because both, I certainly didn't grow up with parents like that. Yeah, we can give short histories now. You, uh, you go ahead. I mean, I am a product of a very young marriage. My mom and dad got married when my mom was 16. I was already in the picture. I was already born at that point. And um, Wait, people, <laughs> people are trying to do the math now because you just said 16, got married, but you were already there. Now, was there a time machine involved? <laughs> no, no, nope, there was not a time machine just involved. Normal time, except it was a- you didn't mention that things happened before she was 16, much right. more before so that you could actually be around by the time they eventually got to getting yes, married. It was a teen pregnancy and my mom was basically a child bride. My dad was also a child child groom. And, um, 
they were kind of like middle school. If they would have actually gone to high school, they would have been high school sweethearts, Uh but they did not go to high school. So they were like childhood sweethearts. Um, You know, I know that my parents loved each other when they got together, maybe first loves even, but they did not. I mean, I know it's shocking, but the love didn't last and they were divorced by the time my mom was 21. So there are two of us, me and my sister, who is four years younger than me. And so my parents, I guess I was four years old when they divorced. So I can remember when my parents were together, but all I remember was them fighting. Wow. That's the only memory I have of my parents when they were married. So. And just to back up for a second. You do not have an inheritance waiting for you. I do not. <laughs> There's I no actually, Victorian home. I'm actually paying their debts, yeah. so it's a negative inheritance. They they did some shady stuff, and they put, like, credit cards in your name when you were three years old and stuff, right? And so they were uh, having tough times with money. And so anything that you've accomplished, that we've accomplished together, is independent of anything that happened before you were born. Yeah, 100%. I I grew up in a neglectful childhood, neglectful home. So, you know, seeing any kind of romance on TV for me was like, oh, is that I kind of wavered between not understanding if that was just on TV, because I'd never seen anybody's parents around me act like that. Right. So it was like, was that just on TV or could that be something really to strive for? I was kind of hoping that it was, but I wasn't really sure if that was real. Yeah. I don't remember having any specific thoughts on like the relationship and the affection when I was a kid. It was more just that they were, you know, having their own fun and adventures in the house that I really responded to, I think, in general. As far as like romance and what in- informed that, I think it was the movie Airplane did it. <laughs> that uh, I just rewatched it. And when they're in the dive bar and then a Girl Scout goes through the uh, jukebox and starts up the Bee Gees staying alive and they have this like whirlwind romance while disco dancing. I was like, that's, yeah, that's how dating and relationships start. And uh, I think that really kind of, I felt like a little, you know, uh, tugging on my heartstrings when I was watching it again, because it it was strange how much it informed my perceptions of how it's supposed to go. So, yeah, the, let's see here. The, the, the Adams had a lot of passion. And uh, I think that that is something that you need for, for a real, you know, good marriage. We uh, didn't learn about your parents' marriage. Oh, yeah. My parents. They were older than yours, you know, getting together like right out of college. Maybe they weren't. I don't even think they were done with college and uh, also, you know, divorced young. And um, it's interesting because I always knew that my, you know, it was no secret that my dad uh, left when I was three. And it was not revealed to me until I was much older as an adult that uh, he had left when my brother was born. No, hold on. Back up. (laughs) The story was that he left when I was three. My mom was in the hospital with my brother, which is pretty cold. It wasn't revealed until I was older that um, it had happened when I was born as well. So three years prior. The only reason he came back was he got in a motorcycle accident and couldn't was looking for somebody to take care of him. So that's how he was back around in order to conceive my brother. So um, it was rocky. 
And uh, they didn't have a lot of affection for each other. And, you know, how they were together is, was just like stories I from my mom mostly. So I don't really know. All I saw was them, again, fighting because they were divorced and there was a lot of uh, heat. <laughs> you know, that heat, like whether there's talking or yelling, probably Good. usually just an energy. Yeah. Usually there wasn't like yelling or, or throwing. There was never any like the throwing of things and the fights like you'd see in a movie or, or in your real life, it, depending on <laughs> what your life is like. But I never saw anything like that. It was always just like that heat of, of tension in the air when the kids are getting passed off. And, uh, I've actually kind of come up with, you know, animated characters and drawings and stuff based on this character that lives in my head. And I realized that he started because of my dad coming back to, um, get visitations because I just kind of have this vague notion of this like scary guy coming to like take you away for the weekend and you don't know him. And it's because, uh, he held off on, uh, this is another story that I didn't find out till much later, but he held off on having visitations with us until both of us were out of diapers. And, you know, I was the holdout, you know, at seven and a half, I was still pooping. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> no. So I was like six and a half. And then my brother was finally out of diapers. And so he kind of basically suddenly showed up to do visitations and take us away for the weekend. And so that's how that all went. I don't know how far to get into that. But anyway, that's our backgrounds. What's interesting is neither of us saw an affectionate, sexy, good relationship between adults in front of us. Like you could tell, talk about your mom and dad and where they went off to, but uh, mine, it's pretty weird because like my dad just stopped. He kind of be just became a, a hermit in a lot of ways. He had like a couple guy friends that he would see every once in a while or once a week. Girls, he just stopped. And I know what you're thinking, you know, out there, you know, if he just stopped dating women, you know, maybe he's a serial killer. <laughs> I've thought of that. Uh, so that happened. So I never saw him with any, any woman. And then my mom always had really equally imbalanced, like power balance is what I noticed. Like there would always be like a domineering boyfriend type guy who would come around for a while or live with us for a while who was just like a domineering jerk or like later on it was usually like a wormy kind of guy like a mumbly kind of guy who she would kind of order around and kind of make him do the man work around the house and there didn't seem to be any affection there either so I didn't grow up seeing like oh that's how like a loving romantic relationship works yeah, I didn't either. And my mom remarried to a horrible person who was abusive and toxic. And that was not a good relationship that I had to like live along with her. And then my dad met someone, um, never married, but they're still together. It's been like 30 years now. Yeah. And they just sort of are like depressed together. I'm not really sure. Kind of codependent. Um, kind of codependent. So there was never a positive relationship that I saw aside from my grandma and grandpa, which had a loving relationship. And when I say loving, I mean like mostly like financially 
financially romantic. I don't know how to put it. It's like, you know, when you look and you see, uh, a person who's like providing for someone in your life and giving them everything they want and they're generous. But yeah, like that's how that person shows love is just by giving the other person everything they want in a way. Right. And I think I've experienced that too. And what we could get into next is the sort of middle young, you know, parts of our lives, the, the young adult parts of our lives. And, you know, for me, I think I've experienced some of that, Partially kind of, I realized that maybe that happened with my dad where he would show affection that way and not really be great at being around for anything else besides like the gift cards and checks and stuff. But also I was married young and, um, I think that that kind of played into it too, where there would be like a lot of problems and depression and bickering and fights, but there was like that kind of oh, now let's like go out to dinner or let's get a, I'm going to buy you something special kind of a thing from, you know, her end. I wasn't buying anybody anything. (laughs) Uh, What about you? I think that the uh, relationships that I saw, I was always very aware that they were dysfunctional. My parents, my mom's relationships. I've always been like a really like acutely aware person, even as a child where I would look around and I, you know, other kids would be like eating their boogers and I just be like, this shit is fucked up. Wait, who's eating boogers? Other kids. Oh, they're not watching what's no, going on with the other adults. Other kids you in are. general, you I know, gotcha. would just be like doing their own thing and like playing. And I'd be looking around at the people around me being like, wow, okay, I really don't want to be like these people. So that is sort of what formed my expectations for relationships, ideal relationships that I knew that I wanted. I didn't get those right away. I feel like I definitely had to deal with some of the aftershocks of being around toxic relationships and just not really fully understanding how I deserve to be treated and just kind of settling for having boyfriends that didn't treat me the way that I should have been treated and just not really knowing how to break free of that or um, just seeing a lot of the traits I saw in my mom's relationships kind of come through. And it took me a really long time to just be like, okay, I'm pretty, I'm pretty done with this now. And I'm not settling for these types of behaviors and dynamics anymore. And um, I think what we both have in common is that we had our own young adult paths that were very different but we made actual mistakes and were poorly matched with people to where like we knew what it was, what the wrong relationships looked like. Oh yeah, for and, sure. And somehow like you, you know that if you listen to uh, I don't know, Dr. Drew or whatever, <laughs> you know, you know that people get into patterns and they can just spend their whole lives like that. But somehow like we saw, Oh, this is not how I want to live anymore and not the kind of relationships I want to be in. And that's the wrong way to do it. And mostly for me, it was like when situations or feelings come up, I know the way that I've reacted or spoken or, or been treated. And I'm like, I don't want it to be like that again. I know the wrong way to handle this situation or feeling. So it's very easy now to do the opposite. 
Yeah. And I just think that for me, I knew long term, like when we're talking about, you know, a lifetime with a person, you know, a real true like marriage or partnership, I knew that there were just certain things that were not going to work for me. And it was different when you're kind of casually dating and you're like, yeah, I'm not going to, I know I'm not going to marry this person. I'm not being serious with this person, but I got to a certain age where I was like, okay, I don't really want to like fuss around with people anymore. I don't want to play games. I don't want to have these like stupid dramas. Like I actually want to find someone that I want to be with. And I already know what I'm looking for because I've already experienced what I'm not looking for. So it's basically the same thing. And that is when we met. Yeah. So we came up with a couple thoughts independently here. We're going to, we're going to present them now of what makes for our, our opinion. We're not doctors, uh, in psychology or relationship counselors, but let's have our thoughts on what makes our strong marriage and relationship before it was a marriage. I think it was, it's always been the same between us. There hasn't really been any distinction pre or post signing of papers. Right. Yeah. No, there, there was never like we were on the fence of being together. Let's get into the informative, hopefully helpful things to tell folks that we think are helpful in a, in a marriage. And then if we want to get it back into like how we met stories or whatever, we could do that. Why don't you start with a marriage point? Okay. And yes, I agree. This is a disclaimer. I am not an expert, but the points that I'm going to share here, these are things that I would tell a family member or someone that I care about, a friend, if I was giving advice or if they were like asking me for help with a partner, this is what I would say. So it comes from a place of love, but okay, not expertise. Go. All right. No more tiny lawyer words. Let's go. <laughs> okay. So the first thing on my list is you have to accept each other's weirdness. Okay. And that's like all of the weirdnesses. That's, you know, the weird outfits that I wear, you accept them. You don't question me. Can we get into a specific real quick? Sure. Let's let's paint a picture. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) Paint a picture. We had gone out twice. We'd gone out twice at this point. And the first one was barely a date. It was more of like, it was supposed to be like a informal meeting on a creative project, but it was kind of, it was a little datey. So the third time we went out, it was going to be, we were going to like go on a trip and we were just ready to like take a a weekend trip. And I went, it was coming up on Christmas and Christmas break. And I went to pick you up and you were wearing like a Santa's elf outfit. Unironically. Yeah. This was before elf, the movie, right? I think so. Yeah. So I had this like elf like costume and I was just getting into the spirit of Christmas and I wear what I want. I'm a very um, emotional dresser. So when I wake up in the morning, I'm just like, what am I feeling like today? And that day I was feeling the Christmas spirit and I was going to, I think we went to dinner, we went and did things and I was dressed like a Christmas elf and you did not, you, you enjoyed it. I didn't blink. Yeah. You enjoyed it. And I, I think that, uh, you know, I'm sure you had some part of you that was like, this is a little bit of a test to see what this guy, what his reaction is going to be to this sort of thing with yes. out, with outfits that will get attention because you've had bad experiences with guys who didn't like you getting attention 
out in public and it's like it's kind of hard for you not to and when i saw you in the christmas elf outfit i was just like i'm gonna marry this woman (laughs) oh thanks babes i mean that's just one example of accepting weirdness but you know just really allowing your partner to be themselves at their craziest weirdest and crazy not meaning crazy like mental meaning just like wacky and funny and carefree that is incredibly important to me as a person who likes to be wacky and I also want to always allow my partner to feel like you know you can be who you want to be and you sing loudly and weirdly we do karaoke together and we we sing in the in the freezer aisle and we dance a lot and we just let each other be as weird as we want to be and i think that that's really important exactly i mean it's like the weirdnesses or you could call them imperfections it's like one person's in i think we've talked about t- talked about this early on in our relationship one person's imperfections and things that they have to see past in you you know oh i gotta get over this thing that they do that's so annoying you know is another person's like joy. They, they, they think it's hilarious and awesome and they want to do it with you too. Or maybe they did it before and would get yelled at it. Or maybe they, it's a new thing and they're like, oh, wow, I want to do that. What are you doing? You know, it's a, it's a positive. It just depends on who you're with. And like, you know, like the, the subject of singing and dancing in the freezer aisle, that's something that I spent years getting like yelled at for like, you're so embarrassing. Stop that. And it's like, it just was, it's just my personality. And I, it's not like I'm trying to embarrass anybody, but it just comes out of me. And I'm like, I sing when I'm walking around and that's what's great, by the way, about having a kid, <laughs> I can sing all I want. And it just looks like I'm entertaining my kid now. And they think, oh, what a great dad. But I would be, I would be hunched over the, the grocery uh, cart singing regardless. So, but also about that, I think it's also about, even if you do look at something as, as a, as a negative, like instead of a weirdness, you, you call it like an imperfection, you know, seeing past that and being like, I'm not going to like go and like start some shit over this. It's not worth escalating things over like, I don't know. So I keep forgetting to like reload the liner in the garbage can and you don't like that and it bothers you. And I get it when you discover that it once again, I have forgotten and you might even mention it. You forgot it again, or you might not. And I just noticed that you just put in a new liner and you don't say anything. That's, that's awesome. But even if you do, what it doesn't become is something that like lasts all day and you're like huffing around and slamming, you know, kitchen drawers and huffing and turning in and I'm going to be mad all day over things, which is something that I had lived with. So, you know, you want to just like take that on too for myself and like not, if I notice something that bothers me, I'll just like, like you (laughs) tonight, you had something that you hand washed and you walked it from the laundry room to somewhere else and i found just this trail of water no that was the leaky bucket oh the leaky bucket okay well anyway i found a trail of water going through the kitchen and i didn't come find you and go you left a trail of water you idiot and start something you know i just was like i'm just gonna get the mop and i'm gonna like follow the trail and mop this up and just put the mop back and go back to playing with our kid you know it's like it doesn't have to be a big thing it's a team effort it's reciprocal so what do you have on your list 
Um, okay. First thing on my list is trust. And I think when you tell someone, you know, somebody's thinking about marrying their fiance or, 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 or dropping the question or whatever, and you, and you ask them, do you trust this person? Do they trust you? I think a young person maybe, or somebody who's maybe hasn't fully thought about all of this would assume that you're talking about, are they going to go mess around? Do they see people on the side? Do they get with other people? Are they making out at bars with people? Do you trust them not to do that? Can you go to work and trust that they're not going to let the mailman in or, you know, that kind of thing. That sounds so <laughs> crazy. So 50s. <laughs> the, mailman. the mailman. Not our mailman. <laughs> uh, yeah. He looks like something out of Breaking Bad. But that's not, that's like the surface level of trust. That's like things have gone to the nuclear DEFCON 5 by the time they're messing around on you level of being untrustworthy, right? I mean that like, I trust that I can say anything that's on my mind, anything that I'm feeling, there's nothing... And and you've expressed this, but even before you'd, you'd ever said anything specifically about this, I knew early on when we were going out that there was nothing I could say that would turn you off, make you angry and like turn 180 on me and start, you know, going at my things. Yeah. Packing <laughs> my things or yelling at me about how, how horrible I am or how could you think that? Or, oh my God, I can't believe you just said that. And... I don't know, like, if it's not the two of us, I don't know how I could tell a person to have that dynamic. You have to be not a horrible, gross person in order for somebody to not react to you that way. Because if you do say horrible, horrifying things and some, and maybe scare somebody that you are capable of these horrible things or whatever, that's, that's going to be different. But I, you know, I know I'm, I'm not that kind of a person and that nothing that comes out of me should horrify a person. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I think, I guess it starts with like trusting yourself that your life partner, your husband, your wife, whoever you're with is not a horrible, gross person. You have to like, that's like the, the step one. And then from there you can like trust that everything that they say is coming from a good intention or some place that is meant to like move the relationship forward, not anything that is going to like be hurt intentionally hurtful. Mm -hmm. not, they're not going to say anything to you that is going to be like gaslighty. It's, it's the understanding that we are both on the same side. Yes. We are a team and we're not going to all of a sudden start kicking the ball toward the other goal or kicking each other in the shins or whatever soccer metaphor you want to get into. We are always coming at it with the understanding and the trust that we are on the same team and that we're, if we have different outlooks on a thing or what should be done, that's fine. We can talk about that, but, but it's always with the understanding that we're not like adversaries. And I think a lot of relationships, including the ones that we've been in have just been with an understanding that we are adversaries that like, yes, we like live together or we're driving somewhere together right now or whatever. But if you say something you like, I'm going to say that I don't like it. 
Yeah. And I think that sometimes people make the mistake of feeling like that is passion or it's kind of sexy to fight and then oh, to make up. That, uh, the surge and, of adrenaline from fighting. Yeah. I'm not here for that. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not interested in that dynamic, but it's interesting that you brought up trust because that's actually number two on my list. It's just worded a little differently. And I have it written down that you show up for each other every day, every moment, even when times are hard or challenging and you always have each other's back. And I mean, I think that we've learned, I mean, we've always been like that, but we have learned and have been tested with that more now than ever with having a kid, because when your kid is crying or sick or waking up every few hours, like if you don't have each other's back, you have nothing because it's real easy to get mad at each other yeah. and stressed out because you can't get mad at the baby. Yeah. Or the I mean, <laughs> I would say that having a kid puts a hundred times more pressure on that, but I don't think it's quantifiable because the stakes when you are a couple are like, you want to, you know, stay in and I wanted to go roller skating. You know what I mean? These kind of things right. or, or, or if it's a bigger, you know, um, drama than that. It could be bigger, but when it's a, your kid, now there's this person that you have so much like love and investment in, and you're with your soul. It's like, I think of it as like the heart plugs in Dune where like now somebody has installed this heart plug and anybody cruel or careless enough could just come over and reach over and grab the loop and pull your heart out. That's what having a kid is because there's this other person now that is not part of your body, but you care for as much as your own body, more than your own body. And that person is the same role for you. But now, but now there's like this triangle of investment in each other's souls, you know, so it, it just adds a lot. It adds a lot. And if you don't have each other's back and play on the same team, I think that there can easily be a breakdown between two. You can disagree with how that person is, you know, managing a situation or maybe, you know, you're just at the height of your like stress levels. Like you said, there's more at stake and all of a sudden everything feels a lot yeah. more uh, scary and like yeah. an emergency. Oh, and by the way, you're not sleeping and you're not sleeping <laughs> the first few years. and it's all new. There's like a lot of heightened situations. And so you have to trust your partner that you are going to like, get through it and you guys are on the same team. And also I feel like trust also goes to like an emotional level where if I come to you and I tell you something is a concern, I know that you trust that my concern is important enough to like take it seriously and to talk about it and figure it out. You're never going to be dismissive There's of no my emotions or my needs or something I'm concerned about. It's like, you know, it's the Star Trek next generation approach. The, it is the Star Trek next generation approach because that is something I feel like isn't always in every relationship. Oh yeah. We've and seen it. We've seen it. And I know I need to know that if I call you on the phone and I say, Oh, you smell gas maybe <laughs> whatever. Yeah. I know that you're going to be like, okay, let's like, look at this. Let's figure this out. I'm you're never, never going to say like, like, you're just farted. <laughs> exactly. So taking, you know, taking me seriously and trusting that, 
if I bring something to the surface that it is relevant and something that we can like work out and talk about. Yes. My second tip, I feel like it's sort of the flip of trust. And that is that it doesn't mean you're not going to be surprised or that you, you shouldn't want to not be surprised. You shouldn't trust somebody so much that they're you're just like kind of taking them for granted. They're like, Oh, I know that she's at home, you know, working on the home stuff and I'm going to, you know, go off to Vegas and you know what I mean? Like you need to, I, I went off on the wrong Jag. What I'm saying is be open to having your notions and comfort zones challenged. Mm, that's good. Yeah. And that's sort of more, oh, I know what it is. It's like more like the trust fall or the guy, you know, your partner is the person holding on to, you know, not holding on to, but, but manning the, the bungee and the bungee jump or you know, any of these dumb falling metaphors that you want to go for. I, when I got together with you had come from a very different lifestyle. We had come from, it's weird that we are so similar and we like think so similarly and like kind of almost, we sometimes wonder if we have some kind of psychic link because we do like think the same things at the same time and notice the same things when we're always out because we came from hugely different backgrounds and relationships in a lot of ways. Right. So when I met you, like you were living the San Francisco Big kind of city bohemian lifestyle, bohemian makeup girl <laughs> out late at night lifestyle. And I had freshly come from like a long-term marriage that had ended, you know, and was just trying to make my way and figure out what to do next. But I was kind of more very used to the, the quiet life of like falling asleep with law and order on, you know what I mean? So you and, and the things that you were interested in and wanted to do and had done, you know, like when you're in a new relationship, there's so much like more focus on what, what was the person up to before I met them? What, were, what was there? Because that's all you have is the, the moment that we're, you know, dating or whatever. And a lot of attention toward speculation and guessing about the past and all that kind of stuff. So as I learned about you and the things that you were interested in or had done, things would come up where I'd be like, I'd have to think like, am I okay with that? And then I'd just be like, yeah, it's cool. That's fine. I think that's really like, are you talking about when I used to do makeup for porn? <laughs> just I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, yeah. I did do makeup oh, for porn. Okay. This is, but that that's example. a fantastic, that is a fantastic example because by the time you brought up that you had done makeup for porn artists, Porn artists, performers, performers, performers. porn formers, <laughs> performers. <laughs> we had been like living together for like a year and a half and we were just hanging out and you brought that up. And I was just like laughing, like, how could we have like hung out and talked over wine and, you know, all, all that. And I hadn't heard this story yet. So I just was loving to hear the story. But it is a perfect example because a lot of people will be like, oh, Jesus, oh, my God, you were near fornicators and you put the makeup upon them and you probably got roped into it, too, and they probably fornicated with you, you know, and and again, there's that trust thing. Like, I trust that that's not you and that even before I knew you, 
you can full well be on a porn set and put some makeup on a person and not get talked into having sex with the porn star, you know, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's a great example, but just like, even just like the modeling, you know, when you, when we first got together, I thought it was super sexy and that's how we got, you know, to meeting in the first place. And I guess we're organically getting into that story, but we wouldn't have met if you didn't model. Right. But I would still just like, oh, like I'd see some new set of photos that you had done that I hadn't seen previously. And I'd be like, oh, geez, wow, that's uh, pretty wild, as my mom would say. <laughs> that's <laughs> wild. And I'd be like, yeah, you know, that's cool. And maybe everybody's got a line and maybe a person could bust out some photos. And I'd be like, geez, I don't feel very, I don't feel good about that. You know, and that would be fair, you know, if I felt that way. But the point is, I just thought it was awesome that to be with somebody that challenges notions and comfort levels that way, or, you know what I mean? Anyway, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I think it's important to know the person you're with their heart so that and know that they're a good person and that you trust them and then you can be more accepted to be challenged in that way. Cause you know, that, you know, if you would have not known me and seen some of the photos I'd done, it would be really easy for you to like, think about, you know, some sort of, you know, sinister things that I've may have gotten into, or, uh, I don't know, like you said, getting talked into doing certain things, but you know me. Yeah. And so then it's like, a couple of things. First of all, I want to get, I want to just say that my point with this was that it's boring to be with somebody that doesn't do that. If you're not getting like challenged on like ideas, even if they're like political or, you know, thoughts and theories that they come up in conversation, not just like sexy photos. I'm just saying, saying you're challenged, then that's boring. And I think you can't get to know yourself until maybe you're getting to know somebody who does challenge you that way and makes you think of things that you hadn't thought of and questioned things to what you were just saying. It, I think it reminds me of some family that we have who called you and none of these people listen to the podcast. So don't worry, but you had some family call and she was very concerned because her daughter was wearing hoop earrings, right? And she was freaking out. And you were like, what's the big deal if your daughter wants to wear hoop earrings at age 14 or whatever? And it's because we kind of unpacked that um, obviously this woman has some preconceived notions and maybe something in her past, maybe some... Maybe a person she knew. Maybe some girls that she knew in high school wore hoop earrings and they were, you know, slutty or, or whatever words she assigned Promiscuous. to them. Yeah. Whatever words she assigned to them. She didn't like these people. And she has associated the hoop earrings with being that kind of person that she does not approve of. And regardless of any judgments on anybody's life, there's not clear indicators like that. You know, if you wear hoop earrings or if you model or if you did makeup for porn artists, it doesn't mean anything about your life beyond that, that fact of what you are actually looking at. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think people just have perceptions that they create 
in their own minds, but those are literally just perceptions. They're not reality in most cases. I mean, sure, in some in some cases they might have some basis in reality, but I think for the most part they are just sort of fantasies in people's minds. It's, it's I wonder if it's related to how people don't understand causation versus correlation, you know, where like two things go on at the same time and you think the one caused the other. Like your mom, you know, was was scared that Jet had gotten sick because you had a statue in our house, right? Or <laughs> this girl standing in line behind me at the antique store last week was telling her mom to throw away her white lighter. Remember the white lighter oh thing? Like, God. don't you don't know like how many celebrities have died and then they found a white lighter on them. And to that girl, and, and a lot of people, this is a thing that people believe. Uh, which we should have gotten into on our last show, I guess, like the superstition of it, that if you have a white lighter, you're going to die. And it's like, yeah, celebrities die and they have white lighters on them and celebrities die and they have black lighters on them and celebrities die and they don't have a lighter on them. Probably most, most of them don't have a lighter on them. Maybe it's bad luck to not have a lighter on you. You know, so the idea of like something that happened along with something else causing it uh, is not real necessarily. You have to be a little more scientific than that. And so hoop earrings do not cause sluttiness. It's true. I think that's probably based in, in fact. What else is on your list? So the final thing I wrote down on my list is that to create a happy marriage that you should kiss each other goodnight every night. Wow. And it's just something simple and, you know, in a crazy life when you are hustling and working hard and taking care of a dog and a kid and running a business and working a lot and just doing a lot in your life, it can be really easy to walk by each other multiple times a day. And I mean, this doesn't happen often. We are an affectionate couple and we hug and, you know we do that stuff all day long, but there, I'm sure there are days where you go through your whole day and you're like, we've just been, ex you know, coexisting near one another all day. And so I feel like that connection at the end of the night, that just like ritual of kissing each other. Good night is important. And it's just even, you know, it's just a sweet gesture to, Remind that person that, you know, you guys are together and you love each other and it's just simple and fast. And I don't know, it just, I feel like it's meaningful. It is. And I think it's interesting that you have never verbalized this before, but it's true. I, I've always at least gotten a kiss you know, every, every night. At least. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the, the thing for me with that is so awesome and it's just going to depend on, on the, on the person who you're, you're with and the person you are. And so it's great that we can be like that because if something like, like we were talking about earlier, if something does make you mad or, or make me mad or, or miss you or whatever the little bump in the road of that day might be, it's always been brief with us. It's always been so brief to just be like, yeah, we're acknowledging that this is, a thing that we're not happy about and we can acknowledge it and we can say, we'll do better next time. 
and we will make an effort. And, we, and that's the trust. We know that we're not just saying that we will make an effort. We really will make an effort. And then that's the end of it. And, you know, for me, having been with people, I'm not even going to say a person because the, the fact is it's always been a pattern in all most of my relationships of being with people who stewed in that. And I think you probably, you know, it's never an accident when there's a pattern. And I'm thinking that, that it might come from like, I think my dad is a steward mm-hmm. and he made a, he may have even gotten that from his mom. My grandma seemed like it's hard with grandmas. You never know. Cause they're just like giving you cookies and stuff, but you kind of have to see behind the curtain a little bit on behind their the relationship. <laughs> see behind the cookies and, and all the little candies are all stuck together and they look like strawberries and pineapples. Uh, I went too far. The point is they were all stewards and my relationships were stewards, meaning that they, on some level, I think lived to keep it going and keep that heat that I was telling you about. Doesn't need to be words. Doesn't need to be fighting. Although sometimes it would be like bringing it up again and bringing it up again. And you're still mad and you're still, and now you're not talking and now it's fine. It's fine. Everything. Don't worry about it. It's fine. I'm fine. But you're st- it's still like that heat in the room and that cloud over your head and it just keeps going and you don't know when the, the mad is, is going to end for whatever your, your crime was. It just keeps going. And then like, the point is, yeah, you, you get to the night time and like, I'm like hanging off the edge of the last three inches of the bed, you know, facing the wall, just like, nope still mad, I guess. And just like feeling that energy of wanting to barely be in bed and go trying to go to sleep like that. And then waking up and they're still mad. And, oh man, I've gone on vacations where we got on the plane and she was mad and, <laughs> and the entire vacation, she was still mad over the thing. And you know what? I'm just going to say, let's, let's paint a picture again. <laughs> This was when I was really young and I worked at Tower and I uh, was with somebody who did not enjoy, not only did she not enjoy like erotica or magazines or this was pre-internet, she didn't even want to see that I was be watching like one of the, we call them the boob movies, you know, the comedies that are going to promise that you're eventually going to see some boobs, but it's still just like a dumb low budget comedy movie. You know, it was called, um, Oh God, what was it? The tower. They would give you the, the free movies, you know, they would say like for, for promotional purposes yes, only. Right. It'd have the little stamp on it and you'd get them the CDs and the movies. And it was like Amazon bimbos, something like that. It wasn't Amazon Women on the Moon, but it was one of those kind of movies. Something about bimbos. Killer bimbos, I think. And I had just like grabbed a bunch of promos and I was like, this looks kind of funny. And I I brought it home and I just was like, she's not going to enjoy that, that I brought this home. So I stuck it in my desk drawer. I didn't like hide it under the cat box or, or like empty out, like put it in a Ziploc bag and put it in the, the tank of the toilet or anything like that. I just put it in my desk drawer. I didn't put it like in the entertainment center or whatever with all the other DVDs or, or this is pre DVDs, all the VHSs. So it was, it was kind of hidden, but it wasn't super hidden. 
and she found it right before the vacation and was like, what is this? You've brought this, you know, that kind of the, the, the whole, what did I find? What were you hiding from me thing? And, uh, it just ruined an entire vacation. She never let it go. Wow. So that sucks. So kiss your, kiss your partner at night. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing worse than that feeling. And I have to say that I think that I, I have stewed not in our relationship, but I've been a, I'm a former stewer. Mm. You're but, a pre-stewer. But that the was... reason that I was a stewer yeah. was because I was in relationships where I was not encouraged to speak to actually like express myself or to, or if I did express myself, I was dismissed or, you know, treated like I was being hysterical or, you know, dramatic or for whatever, for whatever reason, I didn't feel like I could actually express myself in a way that would be helpful to moving forward from an altercation. So I think that I would kind of hold it in and be mad or frustrated or upset because I couldn't express myself. And it sucks. It's the worst feeling, both being a steward, at least for me, I don't know about other people, being a steward was awful. It felt like, I, I mean, I just, it's a physical feeling. I don't really know how to yeah. express what it feels like, but you're definitely holding on to something gross. And experiencing the other person doing that is just like, that feeling in a room, I'm so sensitive to it. I can walk into a room with another, another couple and I can feel if they've oh, been yeah. fighting or had a disagreement. Like I'm so sensitive to it. I really don't like it. And I think that that is part of the reason that it's so important to me in our relationship that we, that's never happened. It's just never been anything we've experienced. Yeah. And it's, I think it's really unhealthy for people. Yeah, I mean, I could just feel like the weight on me. Like I would feel a weight, a feeling in my stomach, a weight on my chest. Like I just remember yeah. feeling physically heavy. And I had gone to a cardiologist over it. I was like, I feel like there's bricks on my chest. That's that's a whole other story. But I don't want to get into into the the past too much. We we're talking about how to have a great marriage, and so my final note is kind of harder to nail down. It would be very difficult to tell somebody like, I don't know what to do about this, but I think for me, you really need, you need chemistry. And, uh, you know, for us, I think it was, it was immediate and has always been great. And it's just like an electricity. It's just, it is literal chemistry. I think it's like, it's like, oh, maybe, no, I don't know if this is a good example. <laughs> I'll get into that later. But, but I think if you don't have the chemistry and like the passion, you know, right off and, and continuing, then maybe do you, do you say break up with who you're with and, or keep looking until you find that? Or do you tell people to like kind of more settle and, and be in a, like a more companionship oriented relationship? And is that okay? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I think that every person is different. There are people who are totally fine with having a companion relationship and maybe for that individual, it's hard to say because I mean, I think because we do enjoy chemistry and look for that sort of electricity in our relationship. We can't really imagine 
not being like that and just being like, oh, I'm fine just having like a companion in my life. Maybe that is fine for some people. For me, like I question like, well, maybe they're just ignoring their like nature in a way to just survive and to like live their day and be with the person that they're with. Maybe they maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. But I think that there has to be. It's I, I that's that's a tough one. It's tough because it's like I think we do have personal experience, so I guess we could we could just go from there. And and that is that if you have kind of settled, what happens is you can kind of keep plodding along from day to day, having set, settled and kind of making do with. Oh yeah, I'm gonna you know still. Uh, get with this person tonight or, or, you know what I mean? Or we're still going to have a date night. We're going to do something and we're going to have a conversation and you kind of keep settling every day. But what happens is like the resentment builds in each person silently that it's just not there fully because you're just not ever like clicked fully. And then that getting by and being good enough turns into some really dark shit of like resentment and uh, blaming the other person for your unhappiness and that, that sort of adversarial dynamic where it gets really dark and then you end up probably breaking up or, or worse, you know, like dying together. Like you spend your whole life hating each other and congratulations and you, until somebody dies, you know, like that's not cool either. So I would say it's the X factor that's, you can't really nail it down, but it is part of the great marriage. The great relationship is that chemistry. Adam's family, definitely. They have the chemistry. Gomez and Morticia have the chemistry. I have a, I have a paint a picture moment about the chemistry. I was with a person at one point that kept telling me I had bad breath and we would like try to get something going and she'd be like, did you brush your teeth? And I'd be like, yeah, I just, I was just in the bathroom. I just brushed my teeth. Did, did you gargle? Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. I'm dead. Okay. Go, go brush them again. Oh my God. And it wasn't even like, it was a little punishy too. You know what I mean? It was like a little, it wasn't like, Oh, I'm so sorry to like get embarrass the work you. for this. It wasn't like, I don't know. It wasn't like, um, oh, I'm, I'm embarrassed to like have to bring it up, but it's really kind of grossing me out, but I wish we didn't have to bring this up. It was a little punishy. It was a little like, yeah, go brush, go brush them again. Kind of power trippy. Maybe. I don't know, but maybe, you know, when we first got together, I was sensitive about that, you know, and you were like, it's not a problem. It's never been a problem. I don't smell anything. I don't know what you're talking. Don't worry about it. And uh, that was after like hummus and non night, <laughs> you know? So like, I think that there's literal, I'm not a scientist, but I believe that there's literal chemistry that goes on between people and sort of like the litmus tests and, and, and people being able to enjoy cilantro or not, you know, these kind of things where people are just wired differently and have different senses and timing and all of it. And there might just be something about you that physically repulses another person. And it's just bad chemistry. And it doesn't mean that you are a repulsive person. It just means you got to kind of keep maybe looking. Yeah. I mean, I think it's literal pheromones as well. Like there are going to be people that you enjoy their smell, their sweat, or just their smell 
And then there are going to be people that you're Hell like, yeah. no, absolutely not. And I feel like, you know, in our case, you know, wake up in the morning. I'm, I feel like I've never been like, we might joke about it. Like, oh, you smell homeless, but it's never like, oh my God, this is disgusting. It's like, you know, it's just, yeah. we're not repulsed by one another. So there you go. The the key to having a happy marriage is to not be repulsed by yeah, one don't, another. <laughs> if you feel like you need to vom, keep moving on. <laughs> That's perfect. Okay. Well, maybe we should wrap it up. I feel like we unpacked this whole thing and now people should be able to find that perfect someone and uh, or know if they have the perfect someone and move on to the next stage of, of being the Adams family. Yeah, I, I hope that, you know, any of our tips or personal experiences um, maybe resonate with you and either guide you to finding a partner or give you some tips to finding a partner. Or maybe if you're with someone that you're like, hmm, some of that stuff that I'm hearing is kind of ringing true for the for the bad signs, you know. It's never too late to start over and to live the life that you want to live. You can wake up any day I'm living and decide proof. to be happy. I'm living proof. By the way, yeah, we've got to put a button on this, but I'm, I'm proof of that. Like I thought that when, when I ended the first marriage, it was, I was 38 and I was, you know, you're at that age where you're seeing the creases under your eyes and, and not you specifically, of course, but me. And I was just like, oh, no, I'm getting Steve Buscemi eyes, you know, and <laughs> uh, no, nobody's going to want this repugnant face. Maybe I should just stick with what, you know, the devil I know and or I'm going to end up lonely and alone and. I was still very young and had plenty of more living to do and and uh, could still have a good, happy life and live in an Adams family. Yeah, that's a good note to end on. Yeah. So in tradition with our old show, we have not written a sign off, but um, what if we were just like... <laughs> so with that, good night. <laughs>